Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I always make that reference. Maybe I'm just speaking to, to me. <laughs> Thank you for taking time to be with us this morning for our family chapel. Uh, we're privileged to have special guests with us. Uh, really not a special guest. He's part of the NBC community family, uh, Dave Clark. Dave Clark is currently the director of publishing for Lilliness. And we have welcomed him back for the past few years uh, to the NBC campus. And he has come and provided um, songwriting uh, seminars and worked with our music department. And this year, we welcome him back as an alumni. Yeah, he graduated in 2012. So if you can, let's welcome Dave Clark as he comes to minister to us. Thank you so much. It is the first time I've been here in a long, long time that I wasn't up doing homework all night. Um, hey, here's an old song we don't hear much anymore, but if you know it, sing it with me. Day to day, it will never 
Sing that chorus again. Lord of all, Jesus Jesus Messiah. We've just come through. I don't know about you, but uh, if you're on staff in any way, shape, or form at any size church, <laughs> we just came through the busiest week of the year. We, um, someone asked me even this morning, what, what, so what are you doing these days? And, and since I graduated last year, that, boy, that sounds good to say. Since I, let me say that again. Since I graduated last year, you know, you, you spend so many hours doing homework and, and doing my weekly reflections, and I had the word count thing down to a science, and I could, I could do it with the best of them, and uh, I just assumed I'd have about 30 or 40 hours a week to play with. It hadn't happened that way, and God is just blessed. And, and, and the neat thing about it is God has just opened up more and more and more and more opportunities and things that, that I, couldn't have, I couldn't have begun to have done. And the people that are asking me to do things that they didn't even know I went to school. But God was preparing me several years back. And God has opened up doors and opportunities. And I've been doing pulpit supply on the Tennessee district since uh, just, just about every week since Christmas. And um, our worship pastor at my church resigned in the middle of February. And they asked if I would fill in for a few weeks until we could find somebody. And what what happened is that I agreed to that without realizing that he resigned right before Holy Week. <laughs> I'm not sure he was living such a holy life, but it, is, it has been a very, very busy time, and yet I can't tell you the difference in the, the level of confidence and, and just things that, that God has just been teaching me. And I, I told uh, Dave Church last, I think last two weeks ago, I saw him up in Michigan, and I said, one of the things that I can't explain to people is that I realize now that all these years that I was going through NBC, all these years I was taking these classes, I was studying to get the grade. And I really wasn't allowing myself to learn the content, but what I was doing was learning how to learn. And as soon as graduation came, the Word of God began to just explode. And I, I realized the seamlessness that's there and, and the, the concepts that I had heard all my life, but I'd studied them in bits and pieces, have just come alive in this last year in, in ways that uh, I, I can't, uh, I just can't begin to tell you. If I look a little tired, normally I say that when I'm out here because I've been up all night doing homework. If I look a little tired today, it's because God woke me up about three this morning and put a, a, a scripture on my heart. 
And when you come out here to speak for chapel, for your teachers and for the president and for all these distinguished people, you kind of want to prepare way ahead of time, which I had done this time. And God said, I got something different for you. And if we can this morning, I want to, just for a few minutes, I want to look at a passage from 1 Peter 5, 6. I think he's going to try to get it on the screen up here. But it says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's suffering, who also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. I tell you what, I can't think of a line that describes the staff at NBC more than that. that They invested in my life not because they had to, but because that was their call, because they were willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. In verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Lord, I pray that you uh, just bless these next few minutes that we have together as family, Lord. Lord, I don't understand why these words on this morning, and yet I trust you. And I pray that you just give wisdom to one unworthy to stand here. I ask it in your name. Amen. When I read that text, and, and even when I read it, I, I went to it and I kept, I kept thinking, you know, these are the people. These are the people that I'm going to be talking to this morning who, who have invested in so many. You have no idea how many are under your care. People, some of them you, you get to meet, some of them, like me, try to find their way out to the mountain once a year, but so many of them, we have a, a man in, on staff at my church that's going to graduate from here in a few weeks, and, and he's, he said he's never been out here and he's not going to be able to come for graduation, you, but, but they're still under your care, you're investing in them. And, and when I read this, this, and I read all those verses at 3 o'clock this morning in the room, and it seemed like it was just kind of wandering all over the place. And I go back and I look at the context of that text, and, and it was to people who were, they were scattered all over Asia Minor back in that day. This was written, and one of the words that I learned when I was a student here was a circular letter. And it does. It seems like it wanders around. It's like it's covering a bunch of different things. But there are a couple of different themes in here that Paul's talking about. One is leadership, and the other is humility. And somewhere along the way, I think that maybe we have uh, combined the two words of humility and weakness. And I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. 
just thinking about this text this morning, and maybe I'm talking to some people here, and you, you just live in a perfect world. You, you got all of the money that you ever need. You got a perfect marriage. You got, uh, you could, you could have retired when you were 15 if you'd wanted to. Maybe you don't know anybody that's ever been sick a day in their life. Maybe that's you, but I, I doubt that this morning. But one of the problems with the culture that we live in, they, they, they tend to tell us that, hey, we need to act like, if we're Christians, we need to act like we got it all figured out, don't we? That, that's the way we're taught. If you're a Christian, you're a believer, well, you should have all the answers. You shouldn't be rattled when times are rough and when the storms get dark. You should have it all together. That's what the Christian faith is. What's more likely is that I'm probably talking to some people here this morning who because of what we do and where we do it, we tend to live sometimes behind a facade that lets us act like we've got it all figured out. We've got it all together. I read this passage in First Peter, and, and there's some things that, that I feel like maybe God wants me to share with you this morning, and, and I will not uh, water down the text by trying to preach it. I'm just going to share what I think God has revealed to me in this passage. Beginning in verse 6, the, the writer gets right to the point. I love this. He says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. It just says it pretty direct. Now, if you have known me any time at all, you know right away that humbling myself is something that God took care of a long time ago. I've I, I worked in the music business in Nashville enough years, I know what it means to be humbled. God, God just did that daily. It, that wasn't a struggle for me. And as if I didn't have humbling enough in the music business, in the late 40s I decided that I would enroll at Nazarene Bible College in the MPP program. And then I found out a whole new level of humbling. I had been out of school for a long time. And as if that wasn't enough, after a year and a half in the MPP, we switched over to a degree program. And then the humbling really began. I remember, um, <laughs> I remember one of my first books that I got when I enrolled here is the first textbook I think that I had to order was called How to Read a Book. <laughs> And I remember getting that book, and my kids were abusing me a little bit about it. And I remember thinking, okay, um, if the obvious question is, if you don't know how to read a book, how's getting a book to teach you how to read a book going to help you read? Is that just me? Trust me, my years at NBC were very humbling. And I learned some things from some people that were so much wiser than I will ever be. The class, one of the things that I, and, and Dr. Self was my advisor, and, and I would call him at least once a quarter, and we'd talk through it, and I'd, I'd say, now don't kid around with this. We're, we're really going to get through this, right? I'm really going to get to graduate, right? And, and while the date seemed to always be floating out in the distance, we did eventually get there. But one of the classes that I put off, not thinking that for sure I was really ever going to graduate, I took the classes I really wanted to take on the front end. I took the, the Old Testament and the New Testament and things that I really wanted to learn. I put off a class called physics. You talk about humbling. It was a year ago right now I was in a class called physics. 
And I remember one night, I, they told me I had to have it to graduate, and I didn't have any more time to take any more classes. And, and there I stood one night in my living room, and we took a boom stand just like this, and I took a medal that my son had won in field day at school, and we had this, this medallion swinging on a boom stand, and I was trying to time the effects of the back and forth. And I tell you what, I was at the point of tears. And I asked a friend of mine, a pastor, I said, what in the world do I need to know about a pendulum to preach the gospel? He said, well, what they're thinking is that the more you learn about physics, the more everything points back to how God was almighty in his creation. I said, I accept that. I don't need a pendulum in my living room with my kids making fun of me to know that God created all this. I'm, I'm there. I'm on that page already. Humbling has never been a real issue for me. But everywhere I look, I see how small I am compared to God. And if you don't, if you ever doubt that, if you ever start to think, hey, I got this thing all figured out, I know what I'm doing, step outside in your backyard and look at the mountain. Go, go down to the Grand Canyon, stand out on the South Rim and, and look down in there and tell me how important you think you are. How can we not be humbled under the hand of a mighty God? What am I talking about? I'm talking about perspective. No matter where I look, I, I see the thumbprint of God. And, and when I do that, the humility part comes easy to me. It's, it's absolutely not about us. And, and so verse 6 says, humble yourselves, therefore, you know what? I got it. I can do it without a pendulum. I, I, I have a confession. I, I like people. I, you, you, can, you can be around me and you can have bad breath, hair that doesn't know what a comb is. You can have clothes that don't match. It, it doesn't bother me. But I can't hardly be around somebody that's arrogant. It's, it's, not who, it's not who I am. It's not how I was raised. It's not who I choose to be around. And, and you, you know people just like that. Some of you may be sitting next to one this morning. They can tell you who's, who should have won the Final Four. They can tell you who's going to win the World Series. By the way, it's the Detroit Tigers. They can tell you what Einstein did wrong in his relative, you know, theory of relativity. They've got life figured out. I have a trouble hanging with people like that. It, it, some of you know I've, I've spent most of my life as, as a songwriter, and, and, and God's blessed that. And, and honestly, in my most vulnerable moment, I would tell you, I believe the reason God has blessed my writing is that I'm not smart enough to write over anybody's head. And you go back and you look at the songs that God has used in ministry through the years, it was because it was right where they were, it's because it's right where I was. <clears throat> one, one of the smartest people I know on the planet is a guy named Dr. Tim Green. I don't know if you know Tim or not. He's a, he's a professor at uh, Treveca, but he's, he's a long time one of my best friends. And, and, and Tim and I, when, when I'd have trouble in class, I'd, I'd go in, I'd sit and talk to Tim, and he'd explain it in a way that I could get it. Tim, Tim is brilliant. And Tim, Tim is such an encourager, and he'll say stuff like, oh, Dave, man, you wrote that song, and he'll quote it, and he'll say, man, that's just awesome. 
Tim's just grinning. I said, Tim, buddy, I'm just rhyming. You're writing commentaries. Don't be impressed with what I'm doing. And he said, well, I'm just writing the minor prophets. <laughs> but what this text this morning is saying to me is, obviously, we don't control it. We're not that smart. And the one who does is saying, hey, come to me and be humble and watch what I do. I'm going to take all your fears. I'm going to take your worries. I'm going to take your anxieties. And I'm going, to, I'm going to make them my own. And then if we keep reading in verse 6, it says, And then I will lift you up in due time. What does that mean? I, I filled in at a church back in the fall. And it was a Nazarene church. And they got up and, and as part of their worship, they read some lines on the wall. And, and it was stuff like, it was a prayer that they all said together, and it said stuff like, May God give you a winning lottery ticket. May you find money in your mailbox. It went through all these things, and I was thinking, Man, yeah, that'd be awesome. That's not the Nazarene church I grew up in, but you know what? They would take that to say that God's lifting them up in due time. He's, he's going to reward them at the right time. That's not how I read this. When I read it, when I humble myself underneath the mighty God, what I'm reading is that, hey, when I need the strength, he's going to give it to me, and he's going to give it to me just the right moment, just the right time. That's what that means to me. He's going to give that to me. He's going to lift me up in, in due time. He will strengthen me when I need it the most, but when I need it the most is when I acknowledge that I'm nothing. How can I not help but humble myself? In verse 7, if you keep reading, it says that he wants us to cast all our anxiety on him. Why? Because he really loves you. Think about that. The God who created those gorgeous mountains out there, he, he really loves you and, and he cares about you. That's, that's just heavy stuff. I don't need a degree from NBC to realize that, you know what? That's, that's pretty big. He's saying that he, he cares about me and he cares about where I hurt. And I, I haven't suffered like Job and I, I haven't experienced the, the thorn in the flesh that Paul talked about, but I've been through some pretty dark times physically in my life. And I know firsthand that the God of the universe really cares about me. I see Dr. Madsen and, and, and Sharon sitting here. You know what? You know that firsthand, that when we're in those times and we need God the most, he lifts us up in due time because he really cares about us. It's, it's way beyond that he just created us. He still loves us. He's still invested in what we're doing Hebrews 4 says we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. I love that. There's something else that, that I read in this this morning, and it's this, that being humble in Christ isn't about seeing who can walk around with their head hung down the lowest. Oh, yeah, well, I'm more humble than you. Yeah, well, I got a bigger Bible than you. <laughs> That's not what it's saying. In Matthew 11, he says, come and learn from me, for I am gentle 
and I'm humble in heart. That's what he's talking about. You might be thinking, well, I, I know that, but we need to remember that if we're not walking in a place where we're acknowledging the greatness of God, then, then we're putting a lot of trust in something else. And I'm telling you what, I've been around long enough to know that those something else's in our life are going to let us down, and they're going to let us down in a big way. You might say, well, I, I don't struggle with other gods. I don't, I don't, I don't have anything. And, and yet there's things that, that we can learn to depend on. If you come into my house in Nashville, you, you would see the thumbprint of, of one man. You'd see it all over my house. His name is Steve Jobs. I love Mac. I, I, if they got it, I want it. If he designed it, I've got it on order. And if I've got an iPhone 5, it's only because the 6 hasn't come out yet. He defined cool for a decade. But you know what? If money and innovation and smarts, creativity, if all those things were worth leaning on, he'd still be alive. Not only we are not in control of our future, but another aspect of humbling ourselves under the hand of a mighty God is to acknowledge the fact that, you know what, we can struggle in some areas. You say, well, not us. We work at Nazarene Bible College. Another aspect of this humility that I think is, is being written about is that is the humility is found in the confession to God of what God already knows. Does that make sense? He, he already knows it. King David wrote that his sins outnumbered him. What he was saying was he needed God to be God in his life. Sometimes we get so caught in this facade of trying to pretend that everything is all right and everything is perfect and we miss out on what God's trying to say and what God's trying to do in our lives. We, we act like because of what we do that we've got it all together. Before I enrolled here at Nazarene Bible College, I used to do something called golf. I used to have a pastor, and his name was David Graves, and, and David Graves was a golfing machine. David Graves, I shouldn't admit this, especially when it's being recorded, but David Graves even showed me how to go and get golf lessons for free. Now, I know somebody as holy as him shouldn't know that, but he did. He said, if you act like you're golfing left-handed, you go out next to the pros on the tee box, and you stand right up, and you get to hear what they're saying to their... Did I just say that? I think I did. I love to play golf. I was never really good at it, but I love to play. When I started here at the school, I gave that up. My church had a tournament recently, a scramble, and I thought, you know, I, hadn't, I literally had not played in four or five years. And I thought, this is the time I, I've got, I can go back and I can play again. I'm out of school. So I, I, I found the most expensive polo shirt that I could find in my closet. I, I put on some khaki slacks that were nicer than what I'd wear to church. 
I got my pin clubs out and I shined them up good and I cleaned the dust off the bag. And when I got out of the car at the golf course and I walked on, you'd have thought, now this guy knows his way around the golf course. I'll tell you who knew otherwise was my teammates. You know what I'm saying this morning is that we can do the same thing in our spiritual journey. We, 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 can, we can have all the right look. We, we can even say all the right things, and we can say it in front of all the, the right people. We, we can even work at a Bible college, and inside we may be struggling with things that nobody knows about, but the God who calls you to lay it all on Him. What you struggle with this morning may not be an issue of sin, and it may be that, that very same level of anxiety that Peter's writing about. Maybe it's a marriage issue. Maybe your kids are dealing with some things that you never thought would come into your house. Maybe you've just about reached the breaking point. And the God who cares about you is saying this morning, Hey, you don't have to do this alone. Come, come put it on me. I, I really care about you, remember? For those of us who spend a lot of time in the church, we can uh, even sometimes we, we claim that we left it with God. We can, we can end a Sunday morning service and say, hey, we did the right thing with it. We left it right there. And then we pick it up and we walk right back out the back door with it. And, and if you've been around church, sometimes you know that, that verse 8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind your enemy. The devil prowls around you like a roaring lion. And can I, can I say something you may not want to hear? And that's that sometimes for those of us who have been in the church the longest, it's the hardest to admit that we have a struggle. We... We, we say stuff like, well, I can't go pray about it in front of anybody because then everybody knows I've got an issue. So we, we, we walk out and we deal with things and then we, we wonder why we see so many pastors losing their pulpit. We see so many churches that are falling apart due to poor leadership and it's because a leader wasn't willing to be broken in front of his people. I've seen it. I believe it. I'm talking about humility this morning that says it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how, we, how long we have trained for it. It doesn't matter who is under our care. It's all right to say, hey, Lord, I need you. It may not be an issue of sin, but you've got to struggle nonetheless. Sometimes the worst argument I, I hear is what will happen to the church if I admit my weakness? Here's what will happen. God will move in and be God. And that church is going to grow. And if we are so arrogant that we think God's ministry is dependent on us, then we've missed the boat completely. Look down at verse 9. It says, Resist him, the devil, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers is going through the same thing. 
Bad things are going to happen. It's a reality of life. Part of this humility, of this submission to God, is that when things do go bad, and they will, we have someone who walks with us and talks with us and he tells us that we're his own and that he cares about us. Folks, that's powerful stuff. Some of you have met my wife, Cindy. Cindy's, she's like a rock. We, we just had our 31st anniversary last month. When we had young kids, they had to go get shots. And, and whenever those times came with all three of our kids, I did the manly thing. I let Cindy take them. Here's the deal. I, I not only couldn't go into where they were giving them the shots, I couldn't even go in the doctor's office. I would drive her to the doctor and I'd wait out in the car because I couldn't stand to see someone put a needle in my little baby. As typical of Cindy, her perspective was completely the opposite. She said, if, if they need this and it's going to make them better, I want to be there and I want to hold them through it so they know they haven't been abandoned. I know I've, I've got some homiletic professors here this morning. You're, you're saying, Dave, you're all over the map. I, I'm honestly, I'm just trying to read the text in context. Am I, am I talking about the dangers of pride? Yeah, yeah, I am. Am I talking about sin? You probably so. Am I talking about grace? Yeah, yeah, I am. But I'm, I'm just reading it. I want to go back one more time to verse 10. It says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, He's going to restore himself, and he's going to make you strong and firm and steadfast. And then in verse 11, it says, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. I love that it says he will restore us and make us strong and firm and steadfast. What a great way to describe humility. Because when we humble ourselves before a mighty God, we have access to all of those attributes. Let me say it another way that maybe you're more familiar with. Second Timothy 1.7 says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but it gives us power. Wow. When we humble ourselves under the hand of a mighty God, we have all the power we need to live the life that he's called us to live. Folks, it doesn't get any better than that. I'm going to close in just a second now. This, this is intimidating for me to come here and share what I feel like God wants me to share with people who know more about the word than I'll ever understand. And I, I told you, I had something prepared, and I was really going to impress you. 
when we talk about this, this theme that you have for chapel and we talk about the strength that we can have and we talk about the strength that we find in humility, I told you earlier, that's never been a real struggle point for me. I, I, I honestly have spent my whole life around people that were so much smarter that I always felt just so blessed just to, to be on the program. About a year ago, just just a new level in it, right about the time I graduated, God began to open up doors for ministry and and, and I, I didn't understand it, but, but I'm smart enough to know that that I need to accept them. So I called a good friend of mine, and he's he's one of the most probably well-known artists in Christian music. I mean, he's awesome. He's got a house filled with Grammys and Doves and whatever else wall of jewelry that you want to talk about. He's got it, and he's always been a good influence on me, just because we talk about stuff. And I've always tried to surround myself with people who help me keep the perspective. I called him and I, I didn't even really know what I needed to talk about. I just said, hey, are you going to be around tomorrow? I want to drive up and have lunch with you. And I got in, got in the car and drove up to Louisville and we, we met at an Olive Garden restaurant. We're sitting there talking and, and we talked about everything. We talked about family and he finally says, so what's on your mind? I said, let me, let me ask you this. Was there one point in your, your career that was just an absolute black and white moment where God reminded you again it's not about you? He didn't have any time to think about it. He didn't hesitate half a second. He said, absolutely, there was. I said, can you tell me what it was? He's sitting there at a chair in a restaurant, and this is what he does. He looks at me and he said, years ago, he said, I was traveling with a Billy Graham crusade. He said, one night we were in a stadium and there were about 30,000 people in the stadium. He, he said, I'll never forget it. He said, I finished my song and I stepped back to the back. He said, I looked over at the side and Dr. Graham was coming on the platform. He said, the place broke into a spontaneous applause when they saw him. He said, I began to watch Dr. Graham, and he stood up in the restaurant, and that's what he did. He said, I watched Dr. Graham, and he went like this. I said, oh, my. He didn't know. He said, that's right. He didn't know it was for him. I gotta tell you, I, I sat there in an olive garden and I cried like a baby. I said, I, I don't know what God's doing, I don't know what God's gonna do, and I don't know what opportunities God's gonna put in my way, but let me be the man who doesn't know the applause is for him. That's where I want to live. That's what I came to tell you this morning is all the people under your care, all the people in your flock, all the ministries that you have in direct influence on, the church that is represented from the people right in here. 
you're not going to hear the applause. That's what humility is. That's what I brought for you this morning. I don't know who needs to hear it. I don't know what you're dealing with. But I came all this way to remind you to humble yourselves under the hand of Almighty God.